How do you find meaning and stay motivated in the midst of all the change and chaos in the world? What's the best way to articulate your value and differentiate yourself in a crowded market? How can you beat competitors who have millions or even billions of dollars that you simply don't have? These are the questions we help you answer in The Story Seller. Each week we meet interesting characters who will help us stay motivated, beat the competition, and grow our business. It's like a strategic business course where I use stories from my own life and business along with stories from various religions, myths, movies, and TV shows to create simple lessons that you can implement right away. We talk about politics, religion, and money, the three taboos at any dinner party, but we do it in a way that has practical application to our life and business. My name is Gibran Nicholas. I'm a professional speaker and the CEO of Momentify, which is a CRM sales technology company. Today, we're going to meet the victor in the arena who can help us find both the will and the inspiration to win, especially in our weakest moments when we feel like the battle isn't even worth fighting. This is going to get intense. Before the coronavirus pandemic, 615 million people worldwide were suffering from depression and anxiety, according to the World Health Organization. According to the Harvard Business Review, this was costing the global workforce over a trillion dollars in lost productivity. In the U.S. alone, workplace stress was estimated to cost the economy more than $500 billion per year. The shocking thing about these numbers is that the studies cited were conducted even before the pandemic wreaked its havoc on the world. This means that the situation with stress, anxiety, and depression is most likely even worse right now. We can approach the problem the same way we always have and get the same results, which is what Dr. Einstein called insanity, or we can try something different. That different approach is what I want to explore with you today. We are going to tap into the spiritual and emotional aspect of workplace stress and anxiety. This may sound insane at first, but I guarantee it's less insane than the way we've been approaching the issue up until now. As I mentioned in the first episode, I'm not your priest and I'm not your therapist. I'm just a fellow salesman and business owner who's sharing with you my own thoughts and experience because I think it could be useful to you. This is most likely the most important episode of The Story Seller I'm ever going to record from both a personal and professional perspective. I created this episode specifically for people who are experiencing burnout, anxiety, or depression given the state of affairs at work or in the world at large. As C.S. Lewis once wrote in the introduction to one of his greatest books, I write for the unlearned about things in which I am unlearned myself. In other words, I don't pretend to be an expert at stress or anxiety. I'm simply speaking from one person to another about the lessons I've learned in my own experiences. I was first introduced to the concept of a victor fighting in an arena about 20 years ago when my dad introduced me and my sister to President Teddy Roosevelt's speech about a man fighting in an arena. My sister and I were just starting out in business as young entrepreneurs feeling very optimistic. Then we experienced our first set of setbacks and rejections, which of course dampened our spirits. So my dad, always trying to cheer us on to victory, shared with us this speech to help us find the courage to see ourselves as victors and get back up. The speech goes like this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. 
The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That passage is one of the most eloquent ever written about finding the will to get back up and fight, and I've often gone back to it when times are tough. But there comes a point in life and business when you say to yourself, this time is different. I just don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to get up. I don't care about the critic. I don't care about anything anymore. I just want to throw in the towel and say once and for all, I am done with this. In the first episode of The Story Seller, I shared with you how I was feeling totally burned out earlier this year. I was personally done with my business. I wanted out. I was just too tired to get up and fight. The process I went through earlier this year to find my way is what I'm going to share with you today. This is going to get personal. The reason it's personal is because people like us take our business personally. We give our lives to our business, to our teams, and to our clients. Our business becomes the great devotion that Teddy Roosevelt talks about in his speech. It's almost like if you can imagine the passion of the Christ, when Christ was devoted to completing his mission and he was inching his way toward the cross, all bloodied and bruised and broken, and he kept on moving forward out of his love and devotion. I can just imagine the thoughts that must have been going through his head as he was crawling toward his destination, how he must have felt like, if I, if I, could, just, if I could just make it a few more steps, and then, and then a few more steps after that, and then someone pushes him down, knocks the wind out of him, and spits in his face, but then he gets back up and he keeps on going. Can you imagine that? Now, here's the thing. I know that's how you feel about the tremendous personal sacrifices you make for your business and for your clients. I know it because that's how I feel. And there comes a point when we think to ourselves, damn, I'm just a human being. I'm not Jesus Christ. If those come to Jesus moments happen enough times in life or business, we eventually reach a breaking point, a point when we're just done, a point when we don't want to pick up our cross and we don't want to keep on going anymore. We're completely burned out. We're ready to call it quits and just move on. Let's examine that for a bit and dig a little deeper to find out why we might be feeling that way. All the great stories of the human experience tend to follow a very similar pattern called the hero's journey, which I mentioned in the first episode. The hero's journey is when there's a hero in a story who's called to adventure. The hero often refuses the call, for example, when Jonah in the Bible didn't want to go to Nineveh and ends up in the belly of a whale. In storytelling, when they make epic movies, that stage in the storyline is actually called the belly of the whale for that reason. When we're in the belly of the whale, we tune out the rest of the world and it appears as though we've died. We're trying to escape our destiny and we've rejected our call to adventure. Then one day, the whale that has swallowed us spits us out and we find ourselves finally ready to wake up and embark on the journey that was calling to us all along. Once we set out on the journey, that stage in the storyline is called the initiation and the road of trials. 
During that stage of the journey, we encounter villains and outlaws, dragons and monsters, and all sorts of obstacles. We get bruised and beaten. We make friends. We find people that help us and people that guide us along. We win, we lose, and we learn lots of lessons along the way. But if this stage of the story lasts for too long, we get stuck there and we feel burned out. In business, oftentimes, we feel like we're constantly being initiated and our road of trials is never ending. It's like we go through orientation again and again and again. Patterns repeat themselves and it seems like we never get to our destination. Or sometimes if we do get to our destination, it ends up being completely different than what we thought it would be and we get disappointed in ourselves or in others. We feel completely devastated or let down. We wonder why we worked so hard and whether our effort was even worthwhile to begin with. We feel like we've completely failed our mission and that everything we did, all the trials we experienced, all the fights we fought, all the victories we won, and all the pain we endured, that none of it mattered. And then we feel like even if we get up and endure more trials and fight more fights, that none of that is going to matter either. If the emotional pain we experience in that moment is strong enough, that becomes the moment when we throw in the towel. That becomes the moment when we're ready to bring our story to an abrupt end. That's when we feel burned out. We're tired of reliving the same story of constant initiation and constant trials. But here's the thing. Our story does not have to end tragically. There is another way. You see, in the hero's journey, the stage of the story after the road of trials is called the return. In this stage of the story, the hero completes the quest and returns to the world with some magical or mystical superpower. It's like in the Bible when Christ was crucified and then he rose from the dead to share his message of salvation. Or it's like in the Lord of the Rings when Frodo finally destroys the ring and returns to the Shire. Or it's like in the Buddhist tradition when the Buddha rises up from his meditation to share his message of the Four Noble Truths. The hero in the story has earned the right to return, to end the road of trials, to come back to the world in a resurrected form. You are that hero. You've earned that right. Because it's the ones who have known the great devotions and the great failures the ones who have fought the great battles and survived to live another day, these are the ones who have earned the right to arise and to return to us as victors because now they have a story to tell. The feeling of burnout and possibly even some forms of depression, the feeling that everything is futile, these are all signals. They're signals that it's time to bring an end to our road of trials and embark on a new adventure that's beckoning to us. The adventure of our return. But in order to return, we need to completely let go of the old version of ourself so that the new version of ourself could be reborn in its higher form. It's like you're upgrading the software of your life or your business. The old version just doesn't work anymore. It's outdated. We need to completely get rid of it and install a new version in its place. In the Christian tradition, this is known as dying to yourself so you can be born again. Christ could not have risen from the dead if he didn't actually die first. This is also the message of Buddhism, which says the way to end our suffering is to stop clinging to people and things and to our old life. That's the only way we can go beyond sorrow. 
Remember in the first episode when I mentioned the business author Stephen Covey once said, we're not human beings on a spiritual journey, but rather spiritual beings on a human journey. Well, this stage of the hero's journey, the stage of returning as a victor and overcoming burnout, is actually a very spiritual experience. When we need spiritual inspiration, we often look to things like art or music or religion to inspire us. We need some sort of artistic expression to connect with us on a deeper level and trigger that moment of transformation. That transformation is what I want to help create for you today. Allow me to share my own experience in the hopes that it may be of some benefit to you. If I was a singer, I'd sing you a song. If I was a painter, I'd paint you a picture. But my singing voice is not that great, and the only pictures I know how to paint are with words. Feel free to translate my words in the weird way that I form them into whatever story language works best for you. Allow me to read you an excerpt from a book I'm writing called The Victor in the Arena. I asked myself, what would my children think of me when they remember the dad who gave up? And that question was sort of good. It snapped me out of my misery for a little bit. I felt like I needed to perform because I wanted to be a hero to my children. But then I remembered all the other times I got up and fought for my children and others like them. I said to myself, is it really worth it? My children will experience pain in their lives, even as I have experienced pain in my life. What difference does it make if I get up and fight for them this time or the next time? Because there will come a time when I won't be here to get up and fight for them. What then? So then I wondered who else or what else is there to fight for if not for my own children? I racked my brain trying to find someone worth fighting for. Was there anyone, anyone that was worth the pain of the fight before me? I searched for people in my past and people in my present. I began to take a walk down memory lane. I asked myself if there were others I had met along my journey who inspired me. I remembered people who made me laugh and who filled me with joy. I remembered activities that entertained me in moments when time stood still. I saw friends and loved ones whom I cared deeply about and who cared deeply about me. Then I relived the sadness and the sorrow of losing the people who loved me and who had helped me along my journey. I wondered why they weren't there with me now and, and why I was feeling so alone. I remembered the best moments of my life, and I longed for someone to take me back and make me forget the day I grew out of them. Thinking of my past just made me sad, so I decided to stop doing that and to think about my present. Was there anyone in my present who was worth fighting for? I remembered the people who loved me now and who were counting on me to create a better world for them. But then I remembered that fighting for them, while noble, wasn't the answer I was looking for. I just couldn't figure out what to do. I found myself feeling completely trapped. I felt like I had been hurled into a nightmare from which I could not escape. I had no idea what brought me here, yet I knew I didn't choose it. I wished it would be over, but I had this dreadful feeling it never would. The movie in my mind was turning into a tragedy that replayed itself over and over again with no end in sight, only a beginning and a middle and then back to the beginning again. During one of these loopy moments, I asked myself some more questions to try and find someone worth fighting for. Ridiculous questions like, whom did I fight for in my younger, happier moments? But then I remembered I wasn't fighting in my happier moments. I was just doing my thing. In those moments, I seemed to be following a voice in my head, and following that voice gave me meaning and joy. But wait a minute. It wasn't a voice in my head. It was just a voice. The voice appeared to me and mesmerized me and whispered, 
beautiful things to me. I don't know how the voice appeared to me. I, I just don't know. I don't know how anyone can see voices appear. Voices are normally heard, but this voice appeared. I heard it with my ears. I saw it with my eyes. I smelled it with my nose, and I tasted it with my tongue. My senses were all in tune with one another, and it was the most amazing experience I'd ever had. I couldn't find the words to answer back in those moments. And then the voice, it sang a song. The voice serenaded me with a song so beautiful I lost myself in ecstasy. A song so brilliant I marveled in amazement. A song so hypnotic. I was compelled to follow. As I remembered the voice, I felt it again, even now, whispering ever so faintly. The voice kept on beckoning me. It was seducing me. It was calling my name now, as though it had been waiting for me all along. The voice began to envelop me once again, and I felt it with all my senses. It was summoning me and inviting me into the heart and soul of the child I once was. The child I once loved the child who loved to play and who loved to laugh just for the sake of fun and laughter, the child who loved to create magnificent things and marvel at his creations, the child whose identity was all at once a hero, a creator, a magician, and a king. Then I felt the voice tapping me on my shoulder, serenading me, beckoning me to take her hand and look her in the eyes. But I closed my eyes, not wanting to open them again anytime soon. After a long while, I finally did open my eyes, lifting them up. But what I saw in the eyes of the voice was a mirror into my own soul. I looked into the mirror and saw a reflection of the God who created me. I saw my divinely created, childlike self, and I remembered who I was. And in remembering myself, I realized that I was the one worth fighting for. What right did I have to tell God that I was unwilling to care for this child, his magnificent creation, a child that he himself created in his image to be loved? What right did I have to tell this divinely created child that he was a failure, a loser, not even worth fighting for? By what right could I continue to deprive this child hero of being the victor he knew himself to be? The image of the child, the reflection of the God who created him, kept gazing at me from the mirror, taunting me, toying with my emotions. The child's sharp eyes cut deep into my soul, and I began to tremble. I knew in that moment I only had two choices. I could pull back in shame and go back to my road of trials, pretending to be my tired old self, and that the divinely made child did not exist. Or I could follow the child deeper into the mirror leaving my old, tired self behind. I stood there wavering, awkwardly, unsure of myself. Then the child spoke to me and said, Please tell me a story. Tell me a story of how I got up in my weakest hour and went on to become a victor. When you go through an experience like the one I just described, it's quite a bit jarring whether or not you believe in God. Because when the emotion dies down, you begin to stop and think. Most people don't take the time to stop and think. Thinking is underrated. But I want us to stop and think. I want us to think about a few things and ask ourselves a few ridiculous questions. The first is this. Why do we feel like we can't be the playful, childlike version of ourselves? When I asked myself that question, the answer really had to do with limitations that I had imposed on myself. You see, when I was doing my thing in my happiest moments, I felt free. 
I didn't feel like I was responsible for other people. I didn't feel like I had to do anything but just be myself. There came a point in my life, though, when I started feeling responsible. I started feeling like there was something wrong with the world around me and I had to try and fix it. I started feeling like I had to go out and do something with my life and earn some income. Then when I got married and had kids, I felt responsible for them. I felt responsible for my business and my employees and my clients. So how could I be my childlike self when I had so many responsibilities? When I asked myself that question, I began to realize that I was going above and beyond my responsibilities. That's why I was feeling burned out. My only responsibility is to stay healthy and to provide an income for my family. And, well, there is no other and. That's the thing. We think we have all these responsibilities, but in reality, we don't. The people around us are responsible for themselves. If you have kids like me, your only responsibility is to provide for them and teach them as best you can. But the decisions they make in their own life are not your responsibility. If you have aging parents, you try and take care of them as best you can, and there are ways to get help if you need it, like maybe have some siblings or other family members pitch in, or maybe pay some money and hire some help, or maybe just put some boundaries around how much you can do. There's no need to feel like you have to go overboard. It's not your responsibility. Your only responsibility is to do the best you know how to do. If you run a business or a sales pipeline like me, you really only have two options. You either win or you lose. Winston Churchill once said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. He also said that it's a mistake to look too far ahead. Only one link in the chain of destiny can be handled at a time. This means that people like us in times like this just need to take things one day at a time, bringing the best version of ourself to each day. It's like back in the old days when we all traveled in airplanes, the first thing they tell you on an airplane is to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you try and help others. It's the same thing in real life. Businesses start and grow and fail and start and grow and fail and the cycle keeps going. People are born and they live and they die and other people are born and they live and they die and the cycle keeps going. We are not responsible for the cycle of life that rules the world we were born into. We're also not responsible for the poor choices of others that unnecessarily make our world a more difficult place to live in. Feeling responsible for the cycle of life or for the poor choices of others is like feeling responsible for the law of gravity or for human nature itself. That's why in those moments it feels like the weight of the world is on our shoulders because we're quite literally taking on the weight of the world. In those moments, the only thing we need to do is shed the burden. It's not our burden to carry. When I realized that, I began to feel less overwhelmed. I realized that I needed to shed some of my self-imposed responsibility, that I was just taking on too much. I was trying to act like Jesus Christ when I'm not. I'm just me. I'm just a sales guy trying to run a business. So then I asked myself, okay, well, what am I responsible for? And the answer shocked me. The only thing I'm responsible for is to be the best version of myself for myself, not for other people. And that's the most powerful insight I've had in a long time. By becoming the best version of myself for myself, I would in turn acquire the superpowers needed to return to the world around me in somewhat of a resurrected form, in a happier form.
in a form that wasn't so burdened and overwhelmed, in a playful, childlike form that was excited about new possibilities, in a form that took pleasure in my work instead of dreading it because I was doing it for me and not for anyone else. I was a free man doing a free man's work, not a slave or a victim to the world around me. The process of letting go was incredibly difficult, but the joy and freedom I felt afterwards was incredibly powerful. The reason it was a spiritual experience for me is because, as I mentioned, my work is my way of serving God. It opened up the possibility for me to actually enjoy serving Him through my work and in a smarter way. To serve Him because I wanted to, not because I had to. In the Eastern religions, there's a similar concept of leaving the old self behind and returning to the everlasting self, which is your source, your home, your strength. The four noble truths of Buddhism are that one, we need to acknowledge that there's suffering in the world. That's the nature of life. Two, the cause of suffering is the clinging of the mind, thinking that people or things or expectations can make us happy. Three, if we change our mindset and let go of the clinging and the expectations, we won't suffer anymore. And four, in order to let go of the clinging, you follow the Eightfold Path, which includes thinking well, speaking well, acting well, and finding peace in meditation. You do these things not because you have to, but because it's the only way to stop suffering and experience meaning and joy in life. In your case, if you're an atheist or if you don't believe in God or in the teachings of any of the Eastern religions, the concept can still apply to you. Here's how. There's an American writer and humanist of the last century named Ayn Rand. She wrote a famous book called Atlas Shrugged, which I highly recommend. Her writings influenced many economists and business people. She also wrote a book called The Fountainhead, which I also highly recommend. In that book, she tells the story of a character named Howard Rourke. The man did what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, and he didn't really care what anyone thought. He was an architect, and he created magnificent architecture, not for his clients, not for fame or fortune, not to serve God, but for the simple reason that he enjoyed his work. He was doing what he was born to do in the way he was born to do it. But in the story, the people in his world wanted him to conform to their standards and do his work not for himself, but for the greater good. They were trying to burden him with altruism, to make him feel guilty because he was so selfish. How can you do your work out of selfishness, they asked. You need to be selfless in everything you do. Do what you do for others and not for yourself. So they actually put him on trial. At the trial, he gives his defense in what are probably eight of the most glorious pages ever written, describing why someone should work for their own pleasure and not for the pleasure of others. The book, of course, was written in 1943, nearly 80 years ago, but we can still get some value from the message. Allow me to read you a passage which I've condensed for our purposes here. Thousands of years ago, the first man discovered how to make fire. Thereafter, men had fire to keep them warm, to cook their food, to light their caves. He had left them a gift they had not conceived, and he had lifted darkness off the earth. Centuries later, the first man invented the wheel. Thereafter, men could travel past any horizon. He had left them a gift they had not conceived, and he had opened the roads of the world. Throughout the centuries, there were men who took first steps down new roads armed with nothing but their own vision. They fought, they suffered, and they paid, but they won. No creator was prompted by a desire to serve his brothers. His truth was his only motive, his own truth, and his own work to achieve it in his own way. 
a symphony, a book, an engine, a philosophy, an airplane, or a building. That was his goal in his life. His vision, his strength, his courage came from his own spirit. And only by living for himself was he able to achieve the things which are the glory of mankind. I shared with you these stories from different spiritual perspectives to encourage you to do what you were born to do for spiritual reasons that are your own. It's your life. Live it for your own reasons, but live it well. Live it courageously. Live it as a victor. Victors look in the mirror and remember their truest selves, while victims look in the mirror and refuse to see what's right in front of them. Victors focus on achieving victory, while victims focus on all the reasons why victory is hard to achieve. Victors actually achieve victory without complaining about the effort, while victims wallow in defeat, spending all their effort complaining. Victors embrace life with no apology, while victims waste life waiting for an apology. Victors help others generously, although they're under no obligation, while victims rely on the generosity of others as though they are owed an obligation. Victors become storytellers and sell people the best version of themselves, while victims become exhibitionists, exhibiting to people the worst version of themselves. We do not belong to the tribe of victims or exhibitionists. We belong to the tribe of victors and storytellers, a tribe of thinkers and poets and writers, a tribe of kings and queens and conquerors, a tribe of creators and adventurers and explorers, a tribe of people like us who have known similar pains, sorrows, and failures, people who, despite their pains, sorrows, and failures, rose up to create their best work and to sell it to us when we needed it most. Victors like Winston Churchill, who sold his country the best version of itself in what seemed to be its most challenging moment. Churchill was 66 years old when he created his best work, when he urged his fellow citizens to aim for victory at all costs, victory in spite of all terror, victory however long and hard the road may be. Victors like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who sold his country the best version of itself in what appeared to be one of its most challenging moments. In moments like this, he'd probably encourage us to shine our light and sell our dream to a world that desperately needs it. Victors like Maya Angelou, who reminded us why the caged bird sings and that there is no greater agony than bearing the untold story inside of us. These were the victors of yesterday who came before us, who paved the way for us to become the victors of today. Tell us a story, they beckoned to us now from the mirror. Tell us a story of how our fights were not fought in vain and how you built upon our good work. Read to us your chapter in the epic story of humanity and how you returned to the world of victor. Let us heed their call to adventure. Let us consider ourselves summoned. And what may seem to be our most challenging moment may just yet become the moment we became the victors in the arena. I started this episode by sharing how over 615 million people worldwide suffer from anxiety and depression, and that was even before the pandemic. I can only guess that the numbers must be much higher today. As business leaders, I think the best way to lead is by example. I myself have seen spiritual and mental health professionals to help me through my difficult times, and I very much encourage you to do the same and make those options available to your team. I don't think we need to be afraid anymore of honest discourse on topics like this. Why is it that we're okay sitting through movie scenes that make us feel uncomfortable, but we're not willing to have difficult conversations like the one we're having today? The mission and purpose of what I'm setting out to do with The Storyseller is that I want to help people like us find more meaning in our work. 
I want us to win at life and business because we were born to win. But we need to do it strategically in a way that creates profitable results and avoids burnout. We need to tell better stories to ourselves and to our clients. We need a smart and simple plan and we need to execute it. The Harvard article I mentioned in the beginning of the episode cited five reasons for workplace burnout. Three of those include lack of role clarity, unmanageable workload, and unreasonable time pressure. We'll be addressing all three of these things in future episodes. I'm going to share examples from my own life and business. Then I'm going to ask you some ridiculous questions to help you think through the process for yourself and your business. Let me be clear. I don't have the answers for you but I do have some questions that I sincerely believe will help you come up with your own answers. In fact, I've prepared a workbook and some reference materials for you in the Storyseller community for this episode and all the other episodes as well. The workbook for this episode helps you think through what it will take for you to return as a victor in your own specific situation. If you're interested in that, please visit thestoryseller.com to sign up. In the next episode, we'll meet the salesman and the philosopher who will help us take the next step to finding more meaning and joy in our work. We'll have lots of good fun and laughter, which we absolutely need after an intense episode like this. Thanks for listening, and let's go make some sales.